quotes Infused with the scent of potpourri Filled to commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic via genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com and you can also, uh, oh, and while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for tons of bonus audio content that runs the gamut of movie, TV, book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, full Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and much more. Right now I'm doing a series of read-along reviews of Stephen King works that involve Holly Gibney, his recurring character that started in the uh, Bill Hodges trilogy and is about to have her own novel here in a few weeks. So I've done 15 episodes for the last 15 weeks, uh, covering bit by bit everything that she's been in. Um, So I'm very excited uh, to be coming to the end of that to go into Holly. Uh, the novel that's coming out in September, but that's just one small piece of stuff that is uh, of a wealth of, uh, like, I think up to like almost 600 pieces of audio content on Patreon itself. So check that out. If you have the means, the funds and everything, check it out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer and on TikTok at OV Podcasts. Um, and today on the show, we're going to be reviewing Gran Turismo, which is, I have it I have it here that's currently in theaters, but it's actually opening in theaters August 25th, I believe. Um, so that is what we're going to be doing tonight. And joining me for that is, of course, Tiny. Tiny, how are you doing this evening? Hey, hey, I'm good, man. Thanks. Hey. How are you doing? I am doing quite well. We did a uh, Patreon recording, so that was fun. Talked uh, talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, and and now we're talking Gran Turismo, so that should be that it, it should be a good a good night. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It feels like we haven't had an obsessive viewer episode in a little while. The last one you and I did was Oppenheimer. Um, yeah. Yep. So how how you been? How's has has it how's it been in terms of movies and TV for you outside of what we're going to talk about in Patreon and in the review? Uh it's been pretty good. Not a ton of movies, at least not a ton of new movies. Um kind of watched some old stuff. Um and I'm I'm trying to get caught up on some TV and and, nice. and watch some stuff. Um the wife actually yesterday uh, I had the day off yesterday after mm. a weekend of racing stuff. Um and uh, my wife and I watched the entire latest season of Outlander. Oh, wow. Um, which was good. I mean, it, it's only eight episodes, but um, mm. yeah, it was uh, it was good. It was a really good episode or a, a good season. So um, they, it comes out, it's on stars and it comes out mm. like one episode per week. And so, uh, yeah, we've just been letting it build up for the last 10 or 12 weeks. And uh, yeah, it was good. Nice. Nice. Have you... Um, have you been keeping up with the, um, strikes or anything? Not much. No, not yeah, really. We don't really need to talk about it or anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, I talked about it with Andy a little bit, 
uh, Andy Carr in the Barbie episode, but um, I haven't really been keeping up with it all that much, but it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, for sure. Yeah. I wonder what kind of like shortage we're going to see and when we're going to see it, you know? I, I do too. I know that some things have been moved, like, I, like Craven, uh, moved to like next year. Um, yeah. but I'm curious what's going to happen if Dune is going to get delayed or what have you. So. That would be yeah. a bummer. Is yeah. this, is Dune supposed to come out uh same time as last one, like December-ish? I think it's I think it's gonna be like October or November. I think November. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully they have it figured out by then. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that they will in terms of the strike and everything. Yeah, I know they've been saying like potentially late fall. I know, like mm-hmm. I know they've been saying that. Um I guess one thing I have kind of followed on it is just I you know it's it's kind of amazing to see some of the actors um, and other professionals for that matter showing like their actual like screenshots of their residual checks. Yeah, uh, that's like thirty cents mm-hmm. for a quarter, and it's like I can't remember who the actor was, but he was like I was like the third lead on this limited series. Yeah. I was in eight out of the nine episodes or whatever. And he's like, I got a check for like $21. Jesus. And I was like, holy shit. And it was someone like I am a BC list actor. I'd heard of him before, but I was mm-hmm. just like, that's, that's not right. Like, I, I don't know how anyone could argue that that's not a problem. Like, Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's really interesting to me too, that like the way that I view it or the way that I've kind of thought about it in my brain is that like even like back in the back in the day like before streaming and everything like there was a lot of like it was a source of comedy in like like on friends like saying like oh yeah i don't know if they actually did this on friends but like in in tv there would be like bits or comedy about like oh residual checks or like people would talk about their residual checks where it's like you get like pennies on the dollar for uh for reruns for shows and everything and like to put it into perspective it's so interesting that like even then like yeah that they're like they're on this old model that it's like okay if if a show goes into syndication and like i know that um if a show that they appeared on went into syndication and that that episode aired on tv ad supported everything because there's ads and everything ad breaks they get residuals from that from that viewing from that single performance of that episode and like i remember there being talk and i've talked about it before and i'm sure people know this but like one of the most lucrative jobs in television was directing the pilot episode of a series of a show that went to series because the way that it was set up back then, at least is that if, if you direct an episode, the pilot episode of a show and it goes to series, then anytime any episode of that show airs on television, you get residuals for that. And if it runs for five seasons, that's literally every episode that airs, you get a piece of that. Um, but it's it's so interesting to me because now it's like now we're in the streaming age where there's there's some ad support and everything, but there's also these mega corporations that are running these things, Netflix and who like they like 
like they do not give the data for how much how much performance their content is is performing like how many times people are viewing it and everything they'll do like those cute little like oh you know a billion minutes of suits has been streamed on Netflix. <laughs> we don't know the context of that though. Um, that's PR. Right, right. But it's like, it's insane to me that now, like you had this fixed model that is people would get residuals for airing of episodes that they were in that was on a scheduled over the air cable, whatever, um, uh, TV schedule. But now it is so open that like anyone can just like it is everyone has access to anything at any point and like the fact that they that the people who make the who make the content that is driving people to sign up for these services or to use this service or to to watch the ads on this service if it has ads and everything are not getting compensated for their work because they are just viewed as like, Oh, we just created this. Like, okay, we're, we're just feeding the machine. It's just, it's, it's, it's insane. It's just, it's insane how much money is just being withheld from the people who make the art. Um, it's, I don't know. That's my little rant. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, you know, there's a different, it's it's a different um different universe now like i i'd be curious to see the cost differences between you know um running a show like friends in the in in the 90s versus you know a, a modern show that's on a streaming service like what are the what are the costs to Netflix slash NBC one versus the other. Like what's, what's more expensive. I, yeah. I, I would think, I would think that maybe streaming is, is more affordable, but I really don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be curious. Cause you know, like the public NBC, technically it, the infrastructure for the broadcast of that show is, is just public airways, right? Mm-hmm. That's just NBC is just public. They don't have to, like versus Netflix, they have to pay or presumably have their own servers and maintenance mm-hmm. for servers to host someone to st- be able to stream that show. You know, I, 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 I just don't know what those costs are and I don't know. Yeah. But I, I would think maybe it's cheaper now, but I, mm. maybe I'm wrong. I, it's, it's a whole, but again, kind of like to your point, be transparent about it. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. Why, why wouldn't you, you know? Right. It's, it's insane. And it's, that is so interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I think that it would be, if anything else, I think that the production side of it, the cost of production for series on streaming services is without adjusting for inflation or anything. um, I think that it is considerably cheaper than conventional, like on air series for for at least one specific reason and that is how or two let's go two reasons one is by and large the streaming platform necessitates or is is brought out to do more short shortened seasons so it's no longer a 24 season or 24 episode like drama series it's a 10 episode 
uh, drama series. And the way that those, the way that those shows are written and produced is in like, like I just, I just read, um, burn it down by, uh, by Maureen Ryan. It's all about, it's, um, all about kind of, um, Oh, just the culture of abuse and, uh, corruption in, in the Hollywood system. And in, in particular, and on, uh, in filming for television. And one of the things that she brings up in that is that there, a writer for a, like a television writer could have a, um, could ha- could have and and an actor even could have a jo- a secure job for ten months out of the year or nine months out of the year because they were working on a twenty two episode season that would be job security but now they have eight or ten episode seasons that they bring in a writer's room they work for maybe two months and then they're out of work for the night for the for the remaining 10 months of the year so it is creating this this uh unsustainability within hollywood that the people who are making this content in this industry who are who are the creative forces of it literally cannot earn a living because it has changed so drastically and i think that that's at the heart of uh, at the heart of what the strikes about and everything Um, and it just, and it pisses me off. Like people will not think either, either they won't be aware of this, which I, I don't feel like anyone should like, it's not, it's no one's fault if they don't, if they're just not aware of the ins and outs of the, of the industry and everything, obviously, because I barely am, but it's the people who kind of like scoff at and say like, Oh, these like, Oh, Tom Cruise wants more money. It's like, no, that's not like, it's like any other industry. Like there are people that right. are making, are are trying to earn a living and it's hard enough to do that in this country um, <laughs> as it is. Um, right. Yeah. So it's just, it that kind of gets my goat a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I saw an interesting, I remember like maybe a year, year and a half ago, it could have been even two years ago. Um, Sydney Sweeney, the actress from Euphoria, got in some mm. a little bit of heat. I don't know if you remember this, but she I don't remember the exact context, but basically some she had been doing like a ton of modeling and she had been like um uh doing like endorsements and commercials and like a bunch of stuff other than acting and I think someone like inter- was interviewing her and they asked her like, "So you're doing a lot of this stuff?" and like, "What's the deal?" and she was like, "Well, She's like, well, I can't really afford to take a break because, you know, I mean, you know, she's like, I just can't really afford to take a break. And everybody was like, well, what are you talking about? And like, mm. she didn't get to provide any more context. And then like, uh. you know, people were like giving her shit. Like you're, you're on this hugely successful show and you're one of those main stars and you're super famous. What the hell are you talking about? Well, <laughs> when this strike happened, everyone was like, okay, well, let's analyze this. Euphoria has had two seasons oh and like the first season came out in 2019 the second season came out in 2022 mm-hmm. so that's three three years separates yeah eight, eight episodes and then eight episodes and someone did like you know the going rate and like someone did the math and they were like so she probably made the first season she might have made like a hundred grand 
mm-hmm. the second season she might have made like half a million but taxes mm-hmm. and your manager fees and all this i mean all this they were like over four or five years she probably made like 250 grand yeah off of off of euphoria and i was like holy fuck like, that's not i mean that's not nothing but right. over four or five years that's not a lot of money and no and like everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people were like, I mean, I feel bad for giving her shit because she really does not, has not made a lot of money from Euphoria, you know? And right. so that's, that's why she has obviously, I mean, her, she's basically, she does more modeling than she does acting. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, no shit. Cause she, it's quick cash and it's <laughs> right. easy. And I mean, I, that was kind of eye opening for me. I, I wasn't critical when she came out and said that, I was like, yeah, she probably, I mean, she probably hasn't made a ton of money, but whatever. I just didn't really care. Right. But you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to see that come full circle. You know, that was yeah. a, an interesting example. Yeah. That is really interesting. Um, yeah. And I just, it, like those high, those high profile shows, it's just, it's kind of interesting to see or to hear about like the ins and outs of them. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of, I don't know, do we, I don't have a segue for this. Do you, yeah, right. anything else about the strikes? <laughs> yeah. Truly a tangent there. Yep. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, we at Obsessive Viewer Studios stand with the WGA and SAG AFTRA. Um, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but today on the show, Tiny, we're going to be reviewing Gran Turismo. Um, yes. So this movie, we're going to kind of dive into this here in a bit. We're going to have, of course, we're going to do a non-spoiler review and then a spoiler review. We'll do a clip from the trailer to spread that out. Check the show notes and everything for uh, ways to navigate the spoiler section and and all of that. But um, Tiny, before we get into the actual review, I have a couple of questions for you in regards to our kind of pre-roll for this review. Um, The first being... Uh, Gran Turismo as a video game property. Um, for mm. those who don't know, it's a longstanding uh, PlayStation exclusive. So it's a PlayStation video game franchise. Uh, the main kind of appeal of it is that it is a like a it's like the real driving simulator or whatever. It's like it's incredibly detailed um and it is the most authentic like race experience in video games from what I understand. I've played several entries in it. It's always very frustrating because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But, uh, but I do like it. It's very, uh, very immaculately detailed and interesting. Tiny, I know that you you don't really play video games or anything, but I know that you have had several incarnations of PlayStation. Did you ever play Gran Turismo? Um, what's your history with the franchise as a video game? Oh yeah. Played the shit out of Gran Turismo. (laughs) Um, my first gaming system was a PlayStation one and we played, my brother and I played a little bit of Gran Turismo two on that. And that was fun. But then what really woke it up was on PlayStation two Gran Turismo 3 came out and that was like a game changer. Like I I'm I'm not kidding. I bet my brother and I between the two of us probably logged 350 hours on Gran Turismo 3. Pro- <laughs> nice. Probably more than that. Like we actually beat the game, which is a it's a it's a big challenge. Like it's hard to do. Nice. Um, it's kind of like a MMORPG or or whatever, uh, a big RPG game. You know, it's 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 a challenge to beat it. Mm-hmm. Um 
And like I remember, because at the time this was like, uh, like ninety nine, two thousand, maybe two thousand one in there. Um, I wanted Gran Turismo was really big on um, controller, uh, controller um, video game controller evolution. Like I think it was one of the first games oh. to ever use haptic feedback. Um, like a rumble pack um, mm-hmm. was one of the first one of the first uh, games to ever do that. If I if I remember correctly, I could be wrong. Um, but they also, they were real big on their like true simulation stuff. And so you could buy, they had like, like three different levels. You could buy a special actual controller that was Gran Turismo based. that was a little more haptic driven. I can't remember the, the specifics, but we ended up getting mm-hmm. that. Oh, wow. But then, nice. yeah, but it, it was like, I mean, I think it was like $60, $70 back in the day, which mm-hmm. now it probably would have been like a hundred. But anyways, the next one was you could get an actual like gas pedal, brake pedal and uh clutch <laughs> pedal that sat on the floor. Yeah. And then, and then you could have a steering wheel that sat on like a table. So you could like sit at a desk and have like, like do the full thing. And I wanted that so fucking bad. Me too. Kids. Um, it was, I think it was like 250 bucks and mm. like, I think we asked for it like two Christmases in a row and my parents were like, that's not like, it's almost, it's almost the price of a PlayStation. Like yeah. we're not getting that for you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we never got that, but man, I, to this day, that would still be fun as shit to do that. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I Gran Turismo is so great. Like mm-hmm. I, it's, it's so accurate and it's, it requires a, it, like you, you can literally like hone your skill as a driver. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of evidenced in the, in the movie here, but, um, it's truly a simulator and and it's it still has all this competitive nature to it like a game does and i think one of the coolest things about it is you can like you can truly build a car like you can yeah you 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 know if you race in the game you win money in the game and you can use that money those credits to build cars and, and uh, um modify your car and make it a better race race car and i think the first two games the first two gran turismos that wasn't quite as um, noticeable, like mm. when you were actually playing, like driving the car in the game, it wasn't as you couldn't feel it as much. But Gran Turismo Three really ramped that up, and it was really a big difference. And you could, you could totally transform a car, and you could sit there and tweak it, and like change all these angles. And like I remember, like you'd get to a level, and like there'd be a race, and like you'd get to it, and you'd you'd put your car in, and you get smoked, and then mm. so you'd go back to the garage and try different things and like try to change the ratios in your transmission gears and shit like that. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm just going to try shit, <laughs> go back, try the race again, see if it's any better. And sometimes it wasn't, sometimes it was. And I, for whatever reason, really enjoyed that. It's pretty nerdy. It's pretty nerdy. <laughs> like, um, that's, so yeah, I, yeah, I was kind of poised to kind of like this movie a lot for that reason like i have a lot of nostalgia for gran turismo so nice i you know it's funny i do too i really love this franchise i played i played the hell out of it uh in several different uh incarnations but um most recently i played a bit of gran turismo sport which was on playstation 4 um Hmm. which is a weird like change up in it i think it was more uh online based racing um i think i mostly just did the career path thing um but it's funny because like throughout every single one when i would get frustrated and everything 
and have to tweak things i would have to like like you i would be like i have no idea what the hell i'm doing like the gear ratio the the transmission whatever i would just do it and then it would like be like borderline undrivable and i would just be (laughs) like i'm done fuck this i'm like i'm done i can't do this so like i wasn't willing to put in the work to learn anything about it but it's just interesting that the game had that like it does have a steep learning curve but it's really really um immersive in terms of the racing and everything yeah. so it's really cool yeah sometimes you were just sitting there running a bunch of races just to make money so you could like yep like <laughs> i i gotta upgrade the brakes on this one fucking car and it's gonna take 150 grand so yep. i know i can win these couple races i'm just gonna do them over and over and win money and like that's yeah it's silly but then you get it and you're like yeah and you can finally it's 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 silly but it was fun oh absolutely absolutely um so yeah so that's our history with the games um so to kind of go in to softly go into the review gran turismo out in theaters august 25th um there are some preview screenings and everything that have happened um And the premise, according to IMDb, is based on the unbelievable, inspiring true story of a team of underdogs, a struggling working class gamer, a failed former race car driver, and an idealistic motorsport exec who risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. The movie was directed by Neil Blomkamp, and writers were Jason Hall and Zach Balin, uh, with a story by credit by Jason Hall and Alex C. And the cast includes David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, Archie Med- uh, Medequi, and Jaman Hansu. Um, Tiny, the next question I want to bring up before we get into the kind of non-spoiler section of the review, Neil Blomkamp, what, mm-hmm. how do you feel about him? Like, what has his his career trajectory done for you as a uh as a consumer of his of his work i i was surprised at the end of this movie to see his name pop up uh i had no idea he directed this i kind of forgot about the guy um i feel like he came out of the gate really strong with district nine and that was a really clever movie that was really well made and a lot of people liked it i think it was it was a unique and interesting film but it it also reached a very wide audience Mm. um but the problem is i don't feel like he as a storyteller and a writer just did not branch out enough and didn't didn't do enough to make himself unique it felt like he was making slight variations to the same story in the same movie for like three or four movies in a row, Hmm. like with Chappie and Elysium weren't different enough from district nine. It just sort of felt like almost rehashes of that same movie. And, and I I think we talked about this. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but um, they, they just weren't that different of movies. And he, he, it seemed like he was sort of bogged down, um, as a director and just wasn't mm-hmm. really wasn't really diversifying his his storytelling techniques um and I sort of lost interest in it um in in him as a filmmaker um which is really kind of a shame but um i think he he's been doing a lot of kind of b-list movies too i don't even 
I guess you could almost call them like straight to DVD kind of things over the last several years or whatever, or like shorts. I don't even yeah, know. Like I, I just saw that on his, on his list and like there, there's a lot of short films. I don't know where they went or what they were for or anything, but he had one movie called demonic that I had never really even heard of. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, I, I think he's, I don't know if he's necessarily been in director jail, but he hasn't been, uh, really making features or anything. He had that whole big thing where he was, he like his idea for for a new Alien movie that would have taken taken place, I think after Aliens. Um, yeah. But I think that I that all kind of fell apart. Yeah, I kind of remember that, but I I don't know. I I wonder. I'd I'd be curious to see him direct something that's not like something that he was involved with the, the creation of the story on. Like if he just mm-hmm. got someone else's script and story and just directed it, I I'd be interested, um, which I mean, I think that's what he did with, with Gran Turismo <laughs> yeah. here, but um, uh, this seemed like a bit of a, for, for him anyways, it seemed like a bit of a, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like you're, like, you yeah. know, Gran Turismo and Nissan were kind of like, let's get at least a decent name director to do this. Oh, Neil Blomkamp, let's 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 just get him. And Neil Neil Blomkamp was like, I could use a nice paycheck. So mm-hmm. um that's I have no idea if that's what happened, but that's just kind of what it seems like to me. That's the vibe um, I get too. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm not I'm not writing the guy off or anything. Mm-hmm. I just it just seems like he he's sort of given up a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. And I mean, I'll echo those sentiments exactly, but like district nine still is really good. I like, I haven't revisited in a while, but I have very fond memories of it. And then I think even in the moment Elysium, I haven't seen it since the, since the theater, honestly, in 2013. Um, but I remember liking it, but just not really liking it all that much. Um, and kind of making excuses for it maybe. And then Chappie, yeah. I just, Chappie was just off the rails. I just, yeah. I could not, I couldn't like it just, it, I hated that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, but, but Gran Turismo does seem like it's the kind of movie that it's, it's a brand first. Like it's clearly like something that the executives and, and the people involved with this movie, know what they want out of the movie. Um, and they knew that particular aesthetic that they wanted to hit. And, uh, and I think that he did a, he did a good job. I think that overall the movie looked really good. Um, I have some issues with it that we'll get into when we talk about it, but overall, I mean, I, I'm curious to see what he does next, but I, I had no qualms with his directing in this movie. Um, yeah, me, me either. Yeah, so let's talk about it. Um, how did you feel in non-spoilers about Gran Turismo? So I think Gran Turismo was a a movie that set out what it was trying to achieve. I, I don't think this was trying to be a, a groundbreaking action film or a groundbreaking racing film. Uh, I think it was... They had their own unique story about some video game players who become real-life race car drivers which is a true story and that's pretty cool and they wanted to tell that story and they did and 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 i think it was perfectly serviceable in telling that story um 
but this isn't I, I don't know that this will be particularly memorable for for anyone necessarily even someone like me who's who has a lot of nostalgia for the franchise mm-hmm. um I, again I, don't, I just don't know if it'll be memorable but but i think it's it was a good time i think this is a movie especially if you go see it in the theater i think you can totally have a, a good entertaining time with this uh, it's it totally hits the right notes for a, a racing action movie um but it's it's also riddled with a lot of problems i mean the mm-hmm. script is really just not very good um (laughs) especially the dialogue is just not creative um there's a handful of pretty good pretty decent scenes actually uh dialogue scenes but they're kind of cheapened by a lot of the other ones um character development is really lacking especially for certain characters um i think the main character um played by archie medekwe uh jan martinborough um, mm-hmm. they call him Yan or John. Was it Yan? What they call uh, him? Yan, Yan, Yan. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, I think he had a pretty good arc, actually. Like I, I, I was happy with that character for the most part. I think it was a little predictable and and not pre- again not unique really. But I, I again, I think they set out what they wanted to achieve with his character. Um, but then the other two characters, you know, played by um Orlando Bloom and David Harbor, were were just very one note mm-hmm. um and didn't get especially Orlando Bloom's character got oh, like yeah. no development at all um was basically just a talking head almost um and David Harbour they they tried to give him some things to do and and he made do with what he had he did he did okay but i it's just the character was just very um very cliched and and just not not layered really at all um nothing to peel back for the character. So definitely, definitely issues with the movie. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I think, I think the depictions of the racing and, and, and stuff like that, like, I, I feel like it can be difficult to actually capture speed on mm-hmm. and racing on film. Um, I think, I think we maybe had a similar conversation with, uh, the movie that came out a couple of years ago, Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Which I really liked that movie. Me too. Uh, and still like that movie. And I think I kind of, I think I kind of brought that up with that movie that it's, it can be difficult to really demonstrate speed and it's, it's what it feels like to be behind the, the wheel of a race car. Not that I know what that's like, but, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that ball is dropped on a lot of racing driving movies. And, um, I, I think they did a pretty solid job here. Ford versus Ferrari was better in that, Mm -hmm. even in that regard, it was better. Um, but this was again, pretty edge of your seat thrilling in in that regard i i i respect it for that and uh i had a pretty good time with it nice uh yeah i i feel like you maybe liked it a bit more than i did and not that i hated it or anything by any stretch it's perfectly serviceable um to kind of echo your thoughts it is likely not going to be a very memorable movie um I don't know how it's going to fare in terms of box office or anything, but it's something that I think that in the moment people might get, you know, especially in like the late summer season, they might get something out of it. But really for me, the biggest uh, thing uh, detracting from my enjoyment um, of this movie is the storytelling. The storytelling I thought was, borderline atrocious in some parts like 
Um, <laughs> I can talk in more specifics and spoilers, but like, there's like uh, the whole like Gran Turismo Academy thing, which is which is a very interesting thing that happened in a very interesting part of the story. The majority of it is in like a montage, including the introduction of like a, an antagonistic character. Like the movie just shows us this montage and then introduces this character as like, oh, this is the guy's like main opponent in this in this academy thing. So keep an eye on that. And it's just like there's there are a million different ways to introduce that that antagonistic relationship in a way that is much more uh much more uh narratively satisfying um but they just did it in a montage which just felt really just weird um there's a bit and this is this is borderline nitpicking but there's a bit toward the beginning before all of that um it's in the trailer it's where he and his friends are uh get like driving away like in a in like a pursuit by the police and it feels like in the moment that part in the movie is in the moment pretty satisfying it's it's pretty solid but i would i would be shocked if if that scene wasn't like some in some like early draft of the movie and then when they started making like the production draft or whatever, like when they, when they were starting production, they're like, uh, let's just keep this in. Let's keep this in from this early draft because it does not feel like it belongs in this movie at all. <laughs> For sure. It is, it is like so jarring because it is so not what the movie is at all. Um, it feels like it's a completely different movie in that scene. But when, the movie kind of goes into the whole like underdog story and everything. Like there are pieces of it that are pretty satisfying and pretty enjoyable. Um, even though it does feel like it is that classic example of a true story that is, if not embellished for the sake of, of movie, uh, for movie making, if not embellished, then just altered enough to make it movie, movie, um, movie appropriate, I guess. Like it, it veers into pure like cliche in terms of the, the way that it's structured and everything. And it has every single, like, it feels, it feels like, it feels like that particular like underdog sports story. Like, I don't know exactly what the true story is or anything, but I feel like this is an example of a movie that feels very much like they took the bare bones of the of the um true story of of this kid who became a professional race car driver through Gran Turismo and Gran Turismo Academy and decided to butter it up with movie tropes and clichés to package a a feature film out of it which is fine if you're okay with clichés and everything um but it just it just in terms of the narrative of the story it just didn't didn't work for me hardly at all um so those are the big like issues i had with it something i actually really enjoyed about it and this is where i'm kind of like i'm not sure exactly what my rating 
is going to be at the end of the day. Maybe I'll talk myself up to a 2.5 stars out of five. Right now it's at like, I think two stars. But uh, the thing that I actually really liked was the way that the movie incorporates the visuals and the like heads up display and everything and, and the the visual aspects of the video game in the race sequences. That I thought was very clever and even maybe even underutilized in some points because I would have watched every race scene with that aesthetic, with that heads up display and everything Um, because I, I just think that that's really, really a unique way to bridge the gap between video game and movie. Um, so it had, it really had that going for it. And I think that they did a very good job at, um, at capturing the action of race car driving, uh, not, not nearly as good as like Ford V Ferrari or even Rush from, uh, Ron Howard from several years ago. Um, but it, it, it holds its own in that regard too. So, yeah. So it's kind of a mixed bag for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like that you brought up the word cliche because it's it's just a bag of cliches. Like there's mm-hmm. to, to amplify your point, like yeah, like there's you could go to every major note of the story and it's a cliche. Like there's yeah. there's almost nothing that's not. Um, so that's that's really true. One one of the other issues I kind of had, I really appreciated the visuals as well. Um, I I think they they spent money in some areas. Like obviously they traveled, like uh, I think they actually went to different parts of Europe. Mm. Um, maybe even went to Dubai, uh, you know, some other exotic, um, locales to film the movie. But I think where they kind of cut corners is some, some of like the cars and some of the action is CGI. Um, and it's not bad. It's not like it's crappy CGI or anything, but it's, there obviously sometimes in, in the movie some of the vehicles get wrecked mm-hmm. and there's one wreck in particular where it's clearly a seat like they did not they did not wreck <laughs> an actual car it's clearly cgi and it's not like egregiously bad but it's not very good either and like i, I understand that that car in real life is probably like well over a million dollars like so i understand to get one of those cars and just wreck it like is a bummer. And so like, I understand that, but I would have preferred more realism in that regard. Cause again, same thing happened in like Ford versus Ferrari or mm-hmm. rush the two films you just referenced, but it felt real. Like there could have been some CGI in those as well. I'm sure there was, but it felt more real. It felt grounded. Like they actually had some practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt like any vehicle in this movie, any race car, that wasn't a Nissan GTR <laughs> was mostly CGI or at least mm-hmm. heavily CGI. And again, does not look bad. It does, it does not look bad, but it's just, I would have preferred a little more grounded realism in this considering it's a real story too. It's a true story. Yeah. Um, and those cars exist. Like you can, you can build a, a fake concept car, like mm-hmm. one of these supercars. Like you you could do that. I mean, Another movie that kind of came to mind was uh, Need for Speed with um, <laughs> uh, Aaron uh, Paul and Michael. Aaron Keaton. Paul, yeah, a few years ago, and I mean, and that movie was it was it was over the top and kind of goofy, kind of fun too. But I think they're they're decently comparable movies um, based mm-hmm. on based on video games. Yeah, um, huh. but that one was a little more grounded because they 
they took some supercars and fucking wrecked them in that movie. Nice. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like that's, that's a, a minor issue in, in my book, but um, I just would have pre- appreciated a little more, a little more grounded practical effects sometimes. Yeah, I totally get that. Is the, is the crash you're referring to, is that the, the big, the, the big one? Um, <laughs> Actually, I didn't have an issue with that big wreck. There okay. was one that involved like a, a the, the car was like bold. Um, oh, oh, it was, yes. It wasn't actually a car that he was driving. It was mm-hmm. like one of the other guys wrecked the kind of villain, yeah. <laughs> if you will, the villainous driver, um, uh, the douchey guy, uh, mm-hmm. that car. I don't know what it is. Um, it was like a gold and black car. That one, it did, didn't okay. look very good. That, yeah. that big wreck, to avoid spoilers, that big wreck... I think that looked pretty good, actually. Like, I thought I, again, so too. It was, it was CGI, but I think they did a pretty good job with it. But yeah. Again, that was a that was a Nissan GTR, so like mm-hmm. Nissan was probably like, here you go, here's here's 15 <laughs> GTRs, do what you right. want with them, and um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that in spoilers because that was that was a big a big point of contention for me as well. Uh, in the, like that for me, that uh, there it presented some narrative issues for me. Um, but it's funny you bring up Need for Speed. I never saw it, but it's just funny that there's, you know, two, um, two like video game yeah. adaptation. I'm sure there's probably more that I'm blanking on, but, uh, it'd be an interesting yeah. double feature, but, um, the locales in this movie were really interesting. Um, as someone who played the games and everything, and I'm sure that you probably had the same thought, but, um, uh, what is it? The, uh, it's uh uh the Nurburgring, um yes that track like mm-hmm. that I, like the as soon as that was like as soon as they showed it I was just like uh, like I got a little bit of anxiety because I know that track from the video game from like that. And I'm just like, that is a grueling one, but it is also like the best like one. Um, so I don't know. I just, I just kind of geeked out over that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, seeing, seeing the Nürburgring and seeing Le Mans and all yeah. that, it's, I totally geek out and it's hard for me to not like it for that reason. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I have some, I have a relationship with Nürburgring as well. Like yep. that's, uh, I think it's like eight minutes to do <laughs> yeah. a lap. I think like in an F1 car, it's like seven and change to mm. do a lap at the Nurburgring. That's just bananas. But it's so interesting too that like it's so like gorgeous and everything. The way like right. it's uh, like I would have watched like the whole third act of the movie could have been there. And like I would have been <laughs> floored by it. I would have been so into it. I would have watched an entire race on that course in this movie um, and that be the third act of the movie. Like that's the kind of, <laughs> that's the emotion that I bring into it from that, from my experience in the video games. Um, so yeah, so I didn't have anything too critical about that. Just that I thought it was cool, um, to yeah. see, um, the Le Mans stuff I really liked too. Um, although every, like as soon as that was brought up, which we'll talk about in spoilers, um, at that point, the movie kind of made itself into, and maybe this is a bias on my part as a viewer, but it just, it immediately like made me think like, okay, now I'm seeing the ways that this movie is inferior to Ford v Ferrari, which I loved Ford v Ferrari. So maybe it's not 
fair to just bring that into Gran Turismo. But as soon as they bring up Le Mans, I'm like, okay, let's let's mentally kind of just think about how they're depicting everything versus how uh, Mangold depicted everything in Ford v Ferrari a few years ago. Um, right. So, yeah. So that kind of was a an uphill battle for this movie that I don't think it really cleared because I, I don't um, I didn't think that that was as as satisfying, nearly as satisfying as as Ford v Ferrari. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, what about performances? Like, how did you feel about like we talked or you talked a little bit about Orlando Bloom and David Harbour being one note, Orlando Bloom. Man, I like he is the most one note person in this entire. It is frustrating how weak the script is for that character. Um, Yeah, you don't even get like you really don't even get the sense of why he's interested in doing this or why he's doing this. He is just the PR guy. And it is just so, it's so bonkers just how, how it's so impossible. Like it, it, it sets him up for failure as an actor because there's no way that he could elevate it. Um, it was, it yeah. was so one note. Um, yeah. You, you could have had Daniel Day Lewis in the fucking role and it would mm-hmm. have been just as bad. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. It's really not Orlando Bloom's fault, which I don't consider him a particularly great actor. He's right. serviceable in, in a number of roles, but that's about all I could really say for the guy. Yeah. Um, th- yeah, I fully agree. Like the character could probably not be more shallow. Um, yeah. In, in lack of depth. Yeah. I mean, it was insane. Um, David Harbour. I, I, I like him as an actor, but I can't articulate why because, <laughs> Well, it's, he does something that really annoys me. Like, mm-hmm. he does this in... Um, it's mostly when he's a lead actor or when he's, like, one of the leads. Mm-hmm. When he's a... Like, I think about... He had, like, a tiny role in the b- couple Bond movies, like, as a CIA kind of guy. Okay. Um, When he's, like, a fourth or fifth down the, the cast list, I think he's more enjoyable. But when he's a lead... I feel like the guy just yells. Yeah. Like, I, I, he just yells. And like he does, <laughs> a, he does it a ton on Stranger Things. He did it in the Hellboy remake he was in, mm. um, which could have been a decent movie, but was ultimately not that good. Um, I, I, I thought he was fine as Hellboy, but I, again, he just, he just kind of yells. And he does it in this movie too. Like he's, it's like he's permanently a drill instructor who's just yeah. yelling at people. And I, it's, it's not creative. And like, I feel like if I see him in another role where he's doing that, I'm not sure I'm going to like him as an actor anymore. Cause it's just, <laughs> it's, it's really tired. And I, his character was a walking cliche. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, literally just taken from every sports movie. Um, but he, he was fine. Like, I mean, the, the character was okay. And that can be a, uh, satisfying storytelling tactic tactic and technique to have a character like that who Mm. was influencing your up and comer and stuff like that and it's a cliche but it's fine and it it can be really satisfying like like uh um creed 
Creed. Yeah. That movie, you know, that played on that trope, but it was really good in that movie. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good movie. And it just wasn't written particularly well in this movie. No. You know? And like he he's supposed to kind of explain or he's supposed to be the voice of how outlandish and ridiculous the entire enterprise of of making video gamers into professional race race car drivers like he's supposed to be the kind of embodiment of why that's ridiculous or why that would be offensive to actual like race car drivers and everything and it is just all surface level it is all like you said like he's the drill instructor he is the most cliched depiction of that there isn't any they don't give him anything nuanced in that in that particular part of his character what they give him like nuance for is his backstory which comes out late in the movie and is again and and maybe it's part of the true story maybe it is i i don't know but on paper and in the movie it is like the most cliched and predictable and just lifeless like like piece of backstory you can possibly do in this type of movie it is something that's been seen in any number of like hard ass hard ass coach mentor relationships in in sports movies it is like it is that exact it is it is the quintessential trope of that genre for that character and it is just so agitating because the movie kind of just rests on the cliches um and it it just feels like and this is this is going to be probably a little bit a little bit more um incendiary than i than i want it to be but it honestly feels like given that this is playstation studios this is a video game adaptation and everything it it honestly feels like this is a studio thing where the studio in question sony and playstation are even less equipped to really understand the ins and outs of filmmaking and storytelling on and in film so they just are putting together this this movie um full of cliches and full of what they think you know the just general movie is supposed to be and so there's just not enough room for any kind of nuanced storytelling or anything unique and that falls on so many different aspects of the movie and especially on David Harper's character's backstory. So I don't know. It just, it just felt very cliched. Yeah. Um, I think the standout performance, I mean, I, I want to give it, uh, I want to give it to the kid, the Archie Medekwe kid. Cause I think mm-hmm. he did actually a pretty good job. And I think he did too. His, yeah. His character had the most meat to work with, you know, um, and and I think again, just, just did a good job. There were some emotional arcs. There's there's some little bit of romance for him, and you know, um, uh, parental stuff and and everything like that. But um, it's hard not to give it to Jaimin Hunsu. Oh yeah, because he damn near steals the movie in one scene. Like mm-hmm. it's it's the only good emotional scene in the whole movie. Oh, I one hundred percent agree. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. And again, he's a walking cliche as well. Mm-hmm. 
um, an annoying cliche, mm. but he's supposed to, he's supposed to be, but it's, he could have been written way, that character could have been written way better. Just Absolutely. like a lot of them could have. Um, but that one scene, I was like, dang, bro. I mean, you didn't have to go for an Oscar and grand charisma, <laughs> yeah. chief. Um, I was like, dang, he he just, uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but I was, I was really impressed with Jaiman Hunsu that he brought it that hard for that scene. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but our Archie Archie Medekwe was kind of keeping up with him in the yeah. scene, and I was like, "Kudos, kid! You're, I mean, that's 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 a job well done." So, um, yeah. Oh, I agree there, at, with all of that. Yeah, awesome. Um, there was a part of the movie that I'm going to try not to go on a rant tangent here, but like, <laughs> there's a part of the movie where uh, uh, Jan become he 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 wins the contest, becomes the driver. And he's getting set up with his team, uh, with David Harbour's character. And he's like, David Harbour's character is like, everyone's going to hate you because you're a sim sim racer and you, you shouldn't be here. You don't belong. Everyone's going to hate you. And I get that. That's part of the story. That's a good conflict, you know, uh, opportunity for conflict. But there, there's a part in the movie where someone from his pit crew, like he's climbing into his car and his pit crew, like this guy says something really shitty to him, like mm-hmm. uh, hopefully you don't die or something like that. And he kind of laughs or, and I was just like, I didn't have an issue with it from a storytelling or a performance standpoint, but like that, like just to nerd out on the racing of it, that doesn't fucking happen in the racing world. And because like, if you watch any race, if you watch the winner of the race, his whole pit crew comes out onto the into the winner's circle with him. The driver goes around and shakes all their hands and knows all their names and their friends and they respect each other and it's a big deal. And they're a team. They're a team. And 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 I've witnessed it behind closed doors too. I had the pleasure of working on a fire alarm system for a IndyCar race team. Um, nice. here in Indianapolis and it was super cool and one of the drivers showed up now this driver had like one season in IndyCar I'm not going to say who it was or anything but like nobody would really even know who he was frankly he's not it's not Mario Andretti or something yeah. okay so but like Elio Castroneves <laughs> <laughs> no not him I'd probably be dead if it was him <laughs> uh, I would have died right there but anyways um, this driver showed up to the shop um, and there's all these mechanics, there's office people, um, everybody, there's a janitor cleaning up. And I kid you not, this driver after like, this is like a Monday. So this was like after a weekend of probably like testing or something. It, it was off season, but mm-hmm. he comes, he comes back to the shop and he, I, I kid you not, he goes around to every single person in there and shakes their hand and says hi to him and says, Hey, how you doing? Nice. And those, everyone's name and they all talk to him and they're happy to see him. And I was like, I was really happy to see that because that was behind close. Like he wasn't on camera. He wasn't mm-hmm. out of the track. Then no one was recording it. That's genuinely how those people are with each other. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like you said, they're, they're a team. And you know, if, if, if in that movie, if I was David Harbour's character, I would have gone up to that guy and been like, get the fuck out of here right now. Yeah. There are a thousand people who would take your spot and be psyched about it and be psyched to working with this kid right now. And 
like again i understand why it's in the movie and like i'm not saying it's bullshit or anything but mm. i was just like in the moment i was like that son of a bitch like get the fuck <laughs> out of here guy you don't belong here it was it was me nerding out for no reason <laughs> no i think that's a very valid reason because for me like not having that context or anything well i mean i i'm aware from you know just osmosis be living and having a living in speedway in my life but um but like the problem that i had with it was narratively like that that is like a completely like superfluous plot line in the entire movie like there is like that scene and then there's a there's a resolution scene where it just like it is as perfunctory as that scene was in terms of being like oh yeah we set up this whole thing about you know your crew not liking you let's have a scene where they're like oh i respect you now it's like okay fine okay why not make that a more pivotal part of the movie if you're gonna introduce it but i don't know again just riddled with cliches and formula that just doesn't doesn't really make for a for a very uh interesting uh film experience um per- perfunctory was a good word for it thank you <clears throat> yeah. yeah and uh and yeah but uh archie medekwe and jaman uh hanso hansu was were they were really good they were the standouts of the movie especially yeah. in that one scene so yeah totally. um yeah do you want to go into spoilers for um Gran Turismo. <laughs> sure, yeah. I don't okay. know how much we'll have to spoil, but... Yeah, yeah I just have a couple of things I want to kind of nitpick a little bit. Um, okay, yeah. But uh, before we do that, what star rating did you give this, and would you recommend people see it? I, I, admitting my bias, I gave it a, a, I gave it three stars, which is totally generous. Like, I think it's more of a two-star, two-and-a-half at best. Um I, I just I, it, it's hard for me to hate on anything racing because I just like I, I genuinely had my my adrenaline was up and I uh, appreciated all the stuff they achieved with the movie as far as the racing goes. So I can't I, I I struggled to fault it too much because I feel like that stuff redeemed all of the crappiness of the movie. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> nice. I generously gave it three stars. Nice. Um, I'm gonna come down at two stars. It it really it wasn't offensively bad by any stretch. It wasn't anything that like it is at best forgettable for me. Um, the standouts of it were pretty much visual, visual aesthetic things like the, the kind of way that it incorporates the design of the video game into the racing sequences that worked really well for me. But in terms of plot and dialogue and overall writing, it just didn't, it did not, gel with me in a, in any meaningful way uh despite a very good like emotional s- single scene between uh the between the two of them late in the movie so um two stars didn't really like it we're gonna go into spoilers for gran turismo to bring us into that i'm gonna play a clip from the trailer so if you want to skip the spoiler section check the show notes in your podcast app or at obsessiveviewer.com slash ov397 uh yeah we're gonna play a clip from the trailer and then spoil gran turismo Listen, son. You think you're gonna play a stupid video game about cars and you're gonna become a race car driver? All I ever wanted to do is be a racer. I'm doing it. 
10 of you are the best Gran Turismo players in the world. Now is your chance to race real cars. This is insane. It's not gonna work. The guys who race are elite athletes. Your kids are scrawny little gamer kids. That's where you come in. Hmm. Okay, so spoilers on for Gran Turismo, and I want to start off by talking about that really the biggest issue I had narratively with this movie was the way that the crash at the uh, Nürburgring, the way that that crash catapulted him into going for 24 hours of Le Mans, I thought that that was so weird Um, because I like I just did like a cursory wikipedia search and like he did like some 24-hour racing i think like his team did and he built up toward that like that all really happened in terms of him competing and getting like his team getting like third place i think um and being on the podium like that's great but again to have the movie just shortchange that to be like okay we're gonna have him be in this wreck i don't know if the wreck actually happened but to have literally nameless people die like that that felt very not even manipulative it just felt very lazy like like you don't like there's nothing there it is it is completely script structured to be like okay now we need to go into the third act and to have that be like okay we're gonna prove ourselves by doing 24 hour of le mans like I actually got pissed off a little bit that like I started siding with the invisible contingent of people in the racing world who hate this kid (laughs) because (laughs) how dare he think that like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to compete in 24 hour of Le Mans. Like that is like, especially after seeing Ford V Ferrari, like that is a massively just massive sporting event and endurance i just i i could not reconcile like my feelings about that with what the, like i couldn't suspend my disbelief honestly um mm. so that was a big sticking point for me how did you feel about that kind of that narrative uh switch up and and that narrative uh thing yeah i i didn't have as much of an issue with it as you did my 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 issue with that whole arc from the wreck and then going all the way through to the climax of the film with mm-hmm. getting the podium at Le Mans, my issue with it is it felt rushed. Like, I feel like that needed to be, I mean, that was, that probably accounted for four, 30 minutes, 40 minutes in the movie. Yeah. It needed an hour because I feel 100%. like, yeah, him, him dealing with the, you know, reconciling, frankly, just killing someone, you know, unintentionally, obviously, but um, the the death of a person, him reconciling that in that amount of time didn't make sense. It should have been a bigger deal. Um, And then again, yeah, you're right. The, he, I, 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 the one scene I liked was the fact that like, once he was out of the hospital, like within a day or two, David Harbour forced him to go to the track and finish his lap. Mm -hmm. I thought that was actually kind of cool. And like, I actually kind of appreciated that because I think that's true. I think race car drivers have talked about that before. Like if you don't get back in the car before 
that fear sets in, that fear will set in and it will take over you and ruin you. Like, I think that's a real thing. And I kind of appreciated that scene, but I feel like he just gets over it so quickly. And then jumping to probably the most prestigious race in the world. Like I hate to say that being from Indianapolis, but Mm -hmm. that's a different conversation. Um, That's, that's just such a big jump. You don't just jump into endurance racing. Like that's not, that doesn't happen. And, and, but, but at the same time, it's, pretty cool storytelling. Like if that's, you know, I, 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 you're totally right. Like I'm not giving you friction at all, but, Mm. um, but I, I mean, I, I wish we could have had more time with it. I'll put it that way. Well, what was the runtime of this? I should have looked because I feel like, I think it was just shy of two hours. Was it? Okay. I I thought it was close. Once I'm looking, I got the IMDB right here. Let's see. It was, Oh, oh, two, two hours, hours and 15 hours. minutes. <laughs> it does not feel like it. No. Um, man, so yeah, to add much more time would have been, wouldn't have been a very good idea, I don't think, because that would have yeah. gotten arduous maybe. But may, I don't, and again, but again, on the other hand, I don't know where they would have cut. I mean, well, that stupid police chase for sure. The police chase <laughs> and like, I hate to say it too, because it's probably the most interesting part of the movie in terms of storytelling and in the most unique part of the part of the movie for something that all around it is a complete cliche, but the Gran Turismo Academy, I don't feel like they did anything really worthwhile yeah. with that at all. And super rushed, for sure. so rushed and just like it, it's built up to be, like it's supposed to be like introducing like like Orlando Bloom is kind of duplicitous and he wants like at the end of the race he wants to he wants uh the the more polished media guy to win and then like that is lame it's it's it just didn't work a- at all for me yeah um for sure yeah and also i like the the love interest character i uh, that could have been cut out entirely like for sure there is nothing of substance there for me we don't even get a good yeah. introduction to her like all we get is like oh he he has a crush on this girl that he knows she is going away to college or something and now that he's famous he's going to he's going to rekindle things with her like there is really nothing nothing there it is again it is it feels like an example of a studio that doesn't understand how movies work or they understand it only as marketing or only as figuring out like okay well we need this we need to check off this box so that we so that we appeal to this crowd or like we need to do literally the bare minimum to introduce a romance subplot so that you know, women in the audience or, or people who don't care about racing and want a more romantic story aren't bored for five minutes of the two hour and 15 minute runtime. Like it just feels so pandering and cliched. And it just, it, it, the movie is like riddled with those. Like it feels like it's just so cliched and, and formulaic in such a way that it's, it's so it's so weird how much it is kind of that that formula is fighting against something that I think is a really interesting visual technique with incorporating the visuals of 
of the video game in the racing scenes. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just so, so, such, so mixed up. It's so frustrating. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. They should have cut the love story. That was yeah point- pointless, essentially. Yeah. And then when we get the reveal of David Harbour's backstory and... Uh, yeah fine i don't even remember it like he basically was in a wreck that like in the same situation that uh that jan was in i guess someone died in a wreck that he was at fault for right Uh, yeah okay fine you're telegraphing that the entire movie but fine whatever Um, right right yeah that was again I, i you know it needed to be in the movie but honestly i would have liked to see it I would have liked to have yeah. a flash a flashback essentially. Like mm-hmm. I think that would have been kind of good, you know. But I Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know where the where the hell they would have fit it in between No, me neither. Uh Jan texting his love interest. Yeah. Know? And the <laughs> the quick rush of uh of montage about montage where <laughs> so frustrating the gt academy that again i'm just like just they introduced characters in a montage that and it, it's like fine okay this is just going to be like the second act of the movie this mo- this is just like his origin story like that's fine but the fact that they bring back the characters to be part of his team for Le Mans, like do a little bit more to beef them up. Like, yeah, don't introduce them in a montage and then, and like, and then basically just have another montage where everyone's getting cut from the cut from the Academy, except for the, the three remaining ones or whatever. And then those are the ones that are going to be the teammates later. Like, it's just so lazy it it is so incredibly lazy and frustrating. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But kind of last last point I have, and I probably mm-hmm. should have brought it up before spoilers, but um, I feel like the movie was also a little over edited, um, especially from a visual standpoint. It felt um, it felt like early Michael Bayish, like um, oh yeah, super quick cuts with some of the racing. Like I hate to keep comparing it to. Um, Ford v Ferrari, but like, I felt like that was much more nuanced as uh, depicting the all of the um, uh, the visuals and uh, the the way the racing feels and all that stuff. And you see the brakes glowing and the the shocks bouncing and all the grit flying and all mm-hmm. that cool shit. Like they had that in this movie, but it didn't feel as seamless or as uh, incorporated as it did in Ford v Ferrari or actually even like I kind of I'm kind of thinking back to like the first Fast and Furious movie like, that's what I thought too yeah yeah like they you know they like take you through an engine where the fuel gets ignited and moves the pistons and all that like mm-hmm. they show you that and and that's pretty cool and like I think it's effective in that movie and they, they showed it in this movie and it wasn't it wasn't ineffective but it just wasn't I feel like I feel like it was an editing issue. It could have yeah. been stringed together much better. And I, I, I don't I think that I think part of it was kind of budgetary. I think part of it was runtime. I think part of it was just 
like Neil Blomkamp going for his paycheck and was like, oh, sure. let's just let's film this shock bouncing while they're going around a corner. Like that'll be good and throw it in there. There you go. Like it. I don't know. It 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 wasn't awful, but I think it could have been a lot better. Yeah, I definitely see what you mean there, and I I agree. It it did feel, um, it felt a little bit not unclear, but it felt like they were doing a lot of heavy lifting in the edit to make it more coherent. It just all the racing, every every racing scene just yeah. felt like quick cuts around, and yes. it felt like it was a little bit a little bit of shortcuts taken. Maybe they didn't have like enough time to really film the sequences the way that they wanted to, and they had to cut around them or they didn't plan enough. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but yeah, I I definitely get your point there. Yeah. I think the Lamont, the Lamont race was the best. Like that Mm -hmm. felt pretty good. And I was fairly happy with that one, but every other race just felt choppy. Yeah. Over edited. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything else on this. Um, will you see it again? Um, will it be in your rotation of race movies, uh, racing movies that you, I'm sure, watch all the time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will probably watch it again at some point. Um, nice. Around March, February, March, April, I kind of get the racing kind of bug, and I want to mm-hmm. watch something. So I, I, I will. I think I've watched. I've watched the movie Rush several times. Um, nice. Ford v Ferrari, I've seen more than once for that reason. Just kind of get me in the racing mood mm. after the the doldrums of winter and looking forward to May and the Indy 500. So um, I'll probably watch it again. I think. Nice. Um, I might eventually at some point. Who knows? Um, yeah, I didn't hate it, but there there isn't enough story wise to really leave a strong impression for me. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. Where I'm at with Gran Turismo. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's fair. Yeah. Uh, interesting PlayStation movies. Sure. <laughs> did you ever see Uncharted? <laughs> I did. Mm. Um, it seemed kind of similar, like pretty forgettable, really. Yeah. Um, the best part about that movie was some sort of, I think, sort of satisfying chemistry between Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, actually. Like, Nothing incredible. I mean, yeah. it wasn't great, but I was like, you know, that I was a little bit surprised at how believable and kind of fun that was. But everything else, I was like, this is the game was way better. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Um, well, that is our review of Gran Turismo. Um, it is in theaters August 25th. I'm not sure when I'm going to post this because now I'm thinking that I should post it next week, but I'll probably post it on Patreon. Um, uh, tomorrow. So Patreon got uh, early access to this. So, um, check out Patreon if you want early access to stuff and a ton of content, um, and everything. But to close out this episode, we're going to do a potpourri section. Tiny, you up for that? Yeah. Yeah. Quick one. Nice. Yes. So potpourri is the section of the podcast where we just basically wind down and talk about something that we've watched or something we're looking forward to. Um, it's potpourri, whatever we want, as long as it smells good. Tiny, are you still going to bring up two things? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to bring up one thing. If you want to do one, I'll do one. You finish out with one. Sounds great. All right. So what do you got first for us? Tiny. So the first one is a uh, limited series called A Small Light. Um, 
I didn't know this was a thing. It was I actually someone we went to high school with just randomly posted about it on Facebook and I was like, what's that? And she said it was really good. And I was like, okay. And I looked it up and was intrigued. Um, it, it is about the uh, hiding of the Frank and Van Pels families uh, from the Nazis in Amsterdam during World War II. Wow. Um, and it's from the perspective of um, Meep and Jan Geese, who were um, the couple that helped um, hide them. Uh, Meep worked for Otto Frank, and wow. uh, she brought them food and kept them hidden for two years in the annex in Amsterdam. Um, and so it's from her perspective and it is absolutely fantastic. I, I was, I was really blown away by this. Um, I feel like the best part about it is, um, I mean, this isn't a spoiler cause it's a true story. Mm-hmm. The only person who survived was Otto Frank in real life. Um, everyone else died. And, yeah. and I feel, I feel like the show wanted the viewers to remember that because there were times of times of joy and like fun and i feel like they were capturing them with the intention of everyone watching it and thinking all these wonderful people are going to die and we all know that already like because it's like one of the most famous stories in the world you know yeah um and and i i think the 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 showrunners knew that and I really respect them for that. I, I think that was a great choice because it it had so much weight to it uh, for, for that for that reason because they chose to do that. I could totally be making that up. That could just be my interpretation. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was highly effective on me, and I was I was just heartbroken every time. And like, but but in a great way because it's 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 beautiful to see this this family finding happiness and joy in this horrible situation um and wow. the sacrifice that the geese family made me and Jan geese their their sacrifice and and how they didn't really complain much i mean they could have been arrested and put in front of a wall and shot without a second thought by a nazi mm-hmm. for two or three years straight and that is i don't know that i could do that frankly yeah uh, i uh, just an incredible story what these people achieved and i i did not know i didn't really know anything about meep geese i had never heard of her mm-hmm. i had never heard of her husband who fought in the dutch resistance um it's an incredible story i watched it on hulu looking on imdb i see national geographic and disney plus as well i don't know if it's available on there i okay i, I watched i watched it on hulu it's um eight episodes limited series it is it's fantastic um and that's nice. what I, uh, if uh, our, um, I think it was just Patreon. I was talking about the Diary of Anne Frank. I decided yeah. to read it. And obviously, it was inspired by watching this show. So. Okay, I was wondering if it was which which order it was. Like, if you, yeah, okay, right, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Highly recommend it. Nice. Um, yeah, that as a story, as heartbreaking and tragic as it is, it is. Uh, fascinating and i find it interesting the way that you kind of refer to it as as kind of highlighting the family and and that that makes me really uh curious to see it so yeah yeah it's really good nice um okay so my one potpourri the movie that i'm gonna bring up is 
it's it's a tough one tough one to um follow up tiny um but <laughs> it is the randall park directorial debut shortcomings uh it is a romantic dramedy um, the plot summary courtesy of IMDb is follows a trio of young Bay Area urbanites, Ben Tanaka, Miko Hayashi, and Alice Kim, as they navigate a range of interpersonal relationships while traversing the country in search of the ideal co- connection. Um, it stars Justin H. Min, uh, who I loved in, um, oh, geez. Uh, it was one of my favorite movies of, was that last year? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, after Yang. He played Yang in After Yang. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is Randall Park's directorial debut. And I was really looking forward to it because of that, because I'm a big Randall Park fan in everything that he's popped up in. And I found the movie, especially like, I was also looking forward to it specifically because this is the type of movie that I gravitate toward, like kind of a low budget indie romantic drama comedy. Like this is, this is my, this is my thing. Like I'm really into it, but the movie kind of is centered around a very unlikable character. Um, and I don't have a problem with that, like, at all. Like, I never have a problem with having, like, an unlikable central character because oftentimes the character learns a valuable lesson or oftentimes it is being presented, at, he like, a, a problematic or issue-ridden character is being the focal point of a movie for a specific narrative reason. Here, it feels a little bit insufferable because he is continuously told by many people in his life point blank exactly what his hangups are what his issues are with relationships with uh, like relationships of all kind and like how he interacts with people and there's nothing really driving him to make any kind of um uh make any kind of headway in correcting his behavior. And it's not like it's presented in a way that it's like, Oh, I'm just a, I'm just kind of a douchey guy and, and I'm going to get by however I can. It's not like an anti-hero story or anything like that. It's just like the movie is, is kind of constructed as a sort of coming of age story a little bit. And it falters on that front because he is presented as as having learned his lessons sort of by the end but there's nothing there's nothing in the movie that really communicates that or communicates that like that change in his behavior it's more like a oh i'm going to change because the movie is an hour and 32 minutes and we're at an hour and 29 minutes so i'm going to go ahead and change uh so it was a little frustrating um, there are some elements of it that, that worked a little bit better for me than, than others. Um, there's a really interesting, like, the, like the movie opens with this really interesting kind of, um, kind of formulaic romantic comedy that they're watching that, that he's watching with his girlfriend in a movie theater. And it is the most heightened, like it is, it is like the most like big prestigious, uh, um, like romantic comedy thing. And 
it's uh it had it has two asian actors at the center uh of it and he after after the movie he and his girlfriend debate it and talk about it and he talks about it like he goes on this rant about how like oh it's just it's like performative um performative representation and how like the core message of the movie is that as long as you have money it's it's all good and everything it doesn't say anything about like the actual like asian american experience or anything of value of that like he goes on this whole tirade and i'm like this is this is potentially a really interesting movie because i thought that it was going to be all about him wrestling with like like a a performatively uh diverse and inclusive like hollywood and not and and it just not being that way or not being to his liking which i would have found it to be a much more interesting movie but instead it's this relationship thing where he is just kind of insufferable or unwilling to change his behavior and is in like he he isn't even really learning the lessons he should be learning and it's just people telling him how he behaves and how he should behave or how he should think about things in certain contexts and it's just it's an hour and a half and about an hour into it it was it was kind of exhausting because it was just there wasn't a lot for me to really latch on to so um unfortunately i didn't really like it all that much it's called shortcomings it's currently in theaters um but I I didn't really like it all that much. So hopefully Randall Park does something uh, better next time around. <laughs> so oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Did, yeah. Did you say he he didn't write it, did he? No, it was written by uh, Adrian Tomine, and I believe it's it's based on a graphic novel. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that that the based on his graphic novel adrian to mines um but the issue wasn't really with the directing though no no it's 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 a it's a competently made movie i will say that gotcha um yeah so so yeah so maybe there's hope for uh randall park in the future yeah i hope so because i I genuinely like the guy so hopefully yeah hopefully he does something something good um cool yeah uh, that is all I got for potpourri. Do you want to close this out with the uh, with round two of yours? <laughs> yeah, and this will be brief too. Um, mm-hmm. I recently watched. I don't know if people know much about this show, uh, a limited series on Peacock called Mrs. Davis. Um, I knew about it because for whatever reason, it was highly oh. promoted on NPR. Interesting. Um, yeah, they'd have like ads for it on NPR like this this segment of NPR brought to you by the latest TV show on Peacock Mrs. Davis and I was like <laughs> this is weird that they're promoting it this way but whatever so that's how I knew about it and the reason I was intrigued is because one of the creators is Damon Lindelof of, I just saw that that's interesting yeah and this show is dripping with his creativity <laughs> nice. um Matt you will like this show okay um dare I say love it I don't know wow. about love it, but because um, didn't you did you really like um, the Watchmen series he did on HBO? I I did. I enjoyed that. I I really liked it. Yeah. Okay. It's it is very much in a similar vein to that. Okay. Um, this is one of the more creative shows I've maybe ever seen. Just wow. 
from from a conceptual creativity standpoint, I was really, really impressed with this movie or the show. Um, it's sort of hard to describe. I don't know if it's supposed to be in the near future, but like essentially a artificial intelligence has permeated society. It's sort of like the movie Her, mm-hmm. like that AI in that movie. It's like that where she's basically in our ears, like on a headset through our phones at all times. And uh, it's, she, she has permeated all levels of society and pop culture. And there is a contingent of a very small majority who is against her and wants to destroy her. And uh, one of them is a nun named Simone played by a brilliant Betty Gilpin. Nice. Um, uh, And she is essentially, she, she is, she is, of course, married to Jesus Christ. That's what nuns are. Mm-hmm. But she's actually married to Jesus Christ in the show. Like she, <laughs> she can like go into a prayer state, and she's like transported to a diner where Jesus is the short order cook at a diner, and that's how they interact with each other. And it's like it sounds dumb and ridiculous, <laughs> but it works so well, and it's kind of amazing. Um, and so she gets this i don't even remember how it goes but she basically is tasked with destroying the holy grail and if she completes that task mrs davis which is the ai will turn herself off that's that's the premise of the show it's so many different things and it sounds wacky and nutty and i think with in in the wrong hands it would have failed miserably but Damon Lindelof hit it out of the park, uh, along with Tara Hernandez, who I'm not familiar with. She was the other creator. Um, it it is so fun and just a really it's just so creative. Um, uh, the Simone, the Betty Gilpin's character, her parents were magicians, and she was like participated in their act, like as a kind of a MacGuffin sort of character, or like a um, a plant in the audience. Like oh, that was her yeah. childhood. She was a plant for her parents. Uh, magic show and so like she has kind of trauma from that and <laughs> there's just so much brilliant creativity with the show it's it shouldn't work the show should not work but it was so fun and just a great time um betty gilpin nice. is the the standout she was uh she was she gained notoriety for the show glow on netflix oh, um yeah okay yeah which i actually started watching just because of mrs davis um and nice. it's, it's a fun show she's she's a amazing actress uh jake dorman is the male lead he's really good one of my favorite character actors uh chris diamantopoulos who Mm -hmm. if you see him you'll know who he is he is such a good character actor um those are kind of all the standouts um oh um um gosh why can't i think it's david arquette plays her dad nice so there's there's a great cast too but i it's on peacock I highly recommend it. It's just so fun. I don't know that everyone will love it, but if you liked Watchmen, the the Watchmen series, you will it's like Watchmen but like way funnier. Like way <laughs> nice. funnier. Um it's it's so creative and brilliant. I really really loved it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to definitely check that out because that it sounds right up my alley, honestly. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. High, high high concept show. 
Nice. Nice. All right. Well, that's Mrs. Davis. It is on Peacock. Um, do you know if it's a limited series or if it's an ongoing series? I, I'm almost positive it's a limited series. I don't okay. think they're going to. I think it was just uh, eight episodes and done. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, I will definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, that will do it for this episode, guys. Um, uh, well, guys, tiny. Um, and to everyone listening. Um, okay, well, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, let us know what you thought about Gran Turismo or anything else we talked about in this episode. Um, don't know what we're going to do next, um, but... Uh, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for more content and check out my TikTok at OV podcast. And also check out the other shows, Tower Junkies. We're about to finish the gunslinger, um, soon. And then we're going to be doing some other stuff too, I'm sure. And then, uh, uh, anthology, I'm going to be doing, uh, Black Mirror reviews and then going into season four of, um the twilight zone so check those out uh i'm gonna start playing us out tiny any parting thoughts for this episode of the obsessive viewer podcast uh nope thanks for joining us yeah thank you guys and uh yeah once again thank you guys so much for listening and check out patreon patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um yeah uh thank you guys so much and we'll see you in the next episode And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, which is, is fine. This is a novella, so there's not a lot of room for King to really do a lot of, um, to do, to do a lot of, uh, building out of the story or anything like Craig's friends are not well developed. I think like Margie, Regina, Billy, and then U-Boat, like they're just kind of there uh, there's not there's not a whole lot of build up there or a lot of character development so that's a little bit of a shame but they are used to kind of i don't know as set dressing for for Craig's experience and everything but really at its heart this story is about Craig and uh his relationship with Mr. Harrigan and how that supernatural element uh is potentially like growing a darkness within him and it's lightly presented there it's it's more about the coming of age thing so anyway this podcast was edited and produced by matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com you can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts for exclusive bonus content including reviews commentaries and b-roll episodes you can subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.